Hello, thank you for joining me. This is Dr. BJ Roca, the founder of Cairo Union, and this is the Cairo Union Podcast. Welcome to the last episode of 2017 for the Cairo Union Podcast. Hope everyone has a joyful holiday season. In this episode, I want to go over some news in chiropractic in the healthcare industry. Talk about is a new study that's out uh, that has to do with workplace health clinics. We're going to talk about Aetna and CVS. We're going to talk about United and their five billion dollar purchase of 300 clinics. The board in California recently sent out an email alert notifying people that the population of licensed chiropractors in the state of California has dropped or declined, and that their licensing fee will go up temporarily, if not permanently, or until the total population of licensed chiropractors increases. So what does that mean for chiropractic? And there's also some studies in the news I'll talk about and mention. We'll briefly go over the Gallup poll. Part three of the Gallup poll finally came out. We'll go over that briefly. Didn't have nearly the grand finale feel to it that I was hoping it would have. I think that the vast majority of information, the most beneficial and useful information has already been provided. There were some conclusions, but there were also some contradictions, and we'll go over those briefly as well. So we got a lot to cover in today's episode, the last episode of 2017. Hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season. You know, we're in the healthcare marketplace and we're healthcare providers, part of the national conversation that are significant and important to doctors of chiropractic have to do with insurance companies and healthcare policy. First, let's talk about CVS and the purchase of Aetna. The reason why CVS in particular is significant versus a Walgreens or another pharmacy purchase purchasing one of the big five health insurance companies. CVS has for a number of years been investing and growing their minute clinic, these small walk-in clinics that they have in their pharmacy. They now have over a thousand locations across the United States, these minute clinics. There's a very limited number of services that are available, but obviously it's proven to be profitable over the past five years since it was initially started with a small number of pilot groups or pilot stores, pilot locations. And now they have over a thousand locations, a thousand walk-in clinics across the United States. In addition to 9,000 pharmacy locations across the United States. Now, last we talked about Aetna was probably six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. That was just after Aetna and Cigna, I believe it was, had failed to merge and positioned itself to be acquired by CVS, a pharmacy. Given the current political climate, I also believe that it's extremely likely it will be approved. Because really, what pharmacy, all a pharmacy does, their only service that they provide is counting out their number of pills, measuring pills, measuring medicines, certifying and regulating the amount that's being handed out and quantifying, filling a prescription, counting out a number of pills or measuring out a certain amount of medicine, making sure it gets to the right person and that they know how to use it or administer that medicine, answer any questions they might have and provide any relevant information, usually in the form of a handout or a label. Something that could be done by a robot or a vending machine. You could completely automate the pharmacy system with robots and vending machines. The technology is certainly available. Even using the wristbands and the scanners that they currently use in the hospital to ensure that people get the correct amount of medication administered by the nurse, you can make use the same technology 
the same scanning system, the same stickers, ensure that the correct medication and the correct dosage information is delivered by a robot via a complicated vending machine. But given laws, regulation, lobbying efforts, CVS has been able to create the need for the pharmacist in order for the pharmacist to persist. It's a protected field. It's a regulated field. But all they do is measure medicine that could easily be done by a robot. And many times they are operating robots or ensuring that robots are working properly. They're technicians. Relatively simple robot should be able to install in a grocery store and just about anybody, maybe once a week, a licensed or regulated technician would service the equipment and fill it back up with necessary medications that are kept under lock and key. If you can have a machine that can dispense money, why can you not have a machine that can dispense certain amounts of pain medicine or antibiotic or blood pressure medicine or anti-seizure medicine? United Healthcare agrees to buy Davida Clinics for $4.9 billion. Davida Medical Group seems to be dedicated to kidney dialysis and is an all-cash practice with more than 300 locations. They recently said they were planning on focusing on their kidney care business and use the proceeds from the sale for significant stock repurchases. I'm reading from the CNBC press release announcing United Health Group purchasing DaVita Health Clinics. And they write, DaVita, the medical group, has significantly underperformed in the company's dialysis division. Last month, they posted a $5 million operating loss in the third quarter due to higher-than-expected medical costs, prompting the company to put up the unit for sale. So they're losing money hand over fist. They lost $5 million in the third quarter. The larger-than-expected loss is what prompted the company to go up for sale. The clinics are going to become part of Optum's already large outpatient medical care footprint across 60 markets nationally. After completing the earlier $2.3 billion acquisition of surgical care affiliates, a network of more than 30,000 affiliated physicians, and 200 urgent care clinics, and 200 outpatient surgery centers. So earlier, they had just spent $2 billion purchasing 300 urgent care clinics and 200 outpatient centers, and now they just purchased an additional 300 clinics. So recently, they've purchased nearly 1,000 healthcare facilities. I'm trying to comprehend why a company that was losing $5 billion a quarter was worth $4.9 billion. Since these deals happened at the same time, they also mentioned the CVS struck a deal to purchase Aetna for $60 billion and what they're describing as a attempt to create a vertically integrated benefits and healthcare system that would be anchored around CVS's in-store clinics. The companies say together they can provide consumers with better coordinated and more cost-effective care. So you can see they're getting into care, into actually providing care. The CIO of CVS, Stephen Gold, has stepped aside prior to the Aetna acquisition. This is a New York Times article, CVS to buy Aetna for $69 billion and deal that may reshape the healthcare industry. This trend, They write that uh, this transaction, one of the largest of the year, reflects the increasingly blurred lines between the traditionally separate spheres of a rapidly changing market or industry. It represents an effort to make both companies more appealing to consumers as healthcare that was once delivered in a doctor's office more often reaches consumers over the phone at a retail clinic or via an app. This merger comes at a time of turbulent transformation in healthcare. Insurers, hospitals, pharmacies are bracing for possible disruption in government programs like Medicaid and Medicare. 
Congress remains at an impasse over the future of the Affordable Care Act, while employers and consumers are struggling under the weight of rising medical costs, including the soaring price of prescription drugs, and rapid changes in technology have raised the specter of new competitors, most notably Amazon. Exactly. Amazon will automate it. Automate that process. You can eliminate CVS. You don't have to go to CVS. CVS Health's chief executive, Larry Merlo, said in an interview, We think of it as creating a new front door to healthcare in America. They're emphasizing their ability to transform their 10,000 pharmacies, their 1,000-minute clinics, into community-based sites for care that would be less expensive for patients. CVS's chief executive, Larry Merlo continues, We know we can make healthcare more affordable and less expensive. Aetna's chief executive said by using CVS's locations, the company can provide people with a better way of accessing healthcare. The development of community-based clinics capable of delivering care with technology and healthcare information available from both parties that could prove the biggest change brought through this transaction. And both of these companies are going through this transaction in order to create a new community-based healthcare delivery system. They started with the CVS Minute Clinic a number of years ago. They have more than a thousand across the country. They do basic health care screenings are from $59 to $69. They do comprehensive health care screenings, diabetes monitoring, hepatitis testing, vaccinations. Seemed like everything was $59. They'll observe minor injury, minor illness, do health screening and monitoring for basic vitals such as cholesterol, diabetes, hepatitis C, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. They can provide treatment and monitoring for all of those things. They can treat minor injuries such as bug bites, stings, minor burns, minor cuts, blisters, splinters, sprains, strains, joint pain, staple or suture removal. Under minor illnesses, they include such things as earaches, ear infections, flu-like symptoms, gout, mononucleosis, heartburn, coughs, pink eye, sinus infections, sore throat, STD evaluation and treatment, upper respiratory infections, urinary and bladder infections, and Zika. They offer travel health services, which that would include pre and post travel consultation, malaria, motion sickness, traveler's diarrhea, typhoid, and again, Zika. You can also get your birth control, your flu shots, your hepatitis, your HPV, your MMR, all your vaccines, and B12 injections. They'll do camp physicals, DOT physicals, earwax removal, EpiPen refills, eyelash lengthening consultation, general medical exams, college physicals, one-time medication renewal, sports physical, weight loss program. They also do pregnancy evaluation, yeast infections, birth control. So if you have a minor illness, you're going to expend from $100 to $129 to basically have a condition evaluated. Now this is cash. United also, the company they purchased, said that they would be focusing in on their kidney dialysis treatment and as a cash alternative. And these prices also are cash. 100 to $129 for an assessment of any minor illness, minor injury, or skin condition. From 69 to 109 or 129 for your wellness and your physicals. They'll do individual consultations for as little as 59 or 35, depending on what service it is. All your screening and monitoring is between 59 and $69. Diabetes is a little bit more from 100 to $129. Birth control injections are $109. 
dollars. Flu vaccines are $45. Vaccines are in the $100 to $125 ballpark, unless it's malaria. Malaria is the $50 to $70 range. You can manage your birth control for as little as $59. In-clinic lab tests, which you have to get, they're only available in conjunction with the services we've already mentioned. But you can, in addition to the other service, you can also add a blood sugar test for $25 or add a pregnancy test for $25 or have a dipstick for $35. And these are the services and prices as of October 2017. Minute clinics are found inside of CVS pharmacies and target locations. Minute clinics are not in every state, but they are in 34 states. Minute clinic, the walk-in medical clinic in Inside select CVS pharmacy stores is the largest provider of retail health care in the United States. Our family nurse practitioners and physicians assistants provide convenient quality medical care to adults and children. Open every day, evenings, and weekends. No appointment is necessary and we accept most insurances. After more than 18 million patient visits, we're proud of our 95% customer satisfaction rating. They claim to be the largest provide retail provider of health services in the United States. Compared to an emergency care or urgent care, if you were to need one of these services, this is obviously dramatically less expensive than going to the emergency room or urgent care center. Today, Humana spent $4 billion on expanding its Humana at Home program with the purchase of Kindred Healthcare. Humana got together with private equity firms and Humana put up about $4 billion in cash and bought Kindrig Healthcare. Now, Kindrig Healthcare will be divided and sold among the purchasing partners, but it is believed that Humana will take on the home healthcare division of Kindred Healthcare in order to expand Humana at Home, which is a another means that health insurance companies have taken to expand their investment in providing healthcare services. So, just in the past two weeks, we've seen the purchase of Aetna by CVS who has over a thousand locations where they offer retail healthcare services. Then we saw United Health Group purchase 300 clinics for nearly $5 billion just after finalizing their purchase of 400 clinics for $2.8 billion. Then again, we, then we saw Humana purchase Kindred Healthcare for $4 billion. The company that was purchased had more than 100,000 employees. They're changing the way healthcare is going to be delivered and they're heavily investing quite rapidly into their own visions and ideas of what those delivery models might look like. We got Cigna now. They issued a paper in 2015, which they called a white paper, in regards to the evolving models of care delivery, how the market can improve access, improve affordability, and personalization. This was the predecessor to their on-site healthcare system. From 2000 to 2014, according to Cigna, premium healthcare costs increased 149% for employers and 198% for employees. While more people have health insurance, in 2015, 20% of people claimed that they had a difficulty accessing their primary care, not only due to a shortage of primary healthcare providers, but because of deductibles, co-payments, co-insurances, and other obstacles that would that make the primary care provider inaccessible because just walking in the door could cost four or five hundred dollars. If you have not yet met your deductible, if you 
have a high co-payment co-insurance and deductible, you're not going to make it to the to the primary health care provider because of the, the burden of additional costs in addition to your health care premium to accessing the primary health care. From 2007 to 2015, the total number of retail clinics grew dramatically. CVS leads the way with nearly 1,000, but Walgreens is not far behind with more than 500. Target was holding their own, but they were acquired by CVS since this paper was written. And Kroger, they have what they call the Little Clinic, and they have a couple hundred locations across the United States, as well as Walmart has gotten in the game, and they have a number of locations across the United States. These are walk-in retail healthcare facilities inside a Walmart, inside a Kroger that offer a limited number of services. You are dramatically saving or decreasing the cost of care by fragmenting it. So they understand that you can't walk into one of these clinics and get any healthcare service available, but you can get a fragment of the healthcare services that are available and you can get them at a, at a tremendous savings compared to getting those same services in a hospital setting or emergency room or urgent care setting. So Cigna's position at the time was offering access to telemedicine services, including emailing consults, live video consultations, non-emergency acute care over the phone. They also wanted to empower customers to take control of their healthcare and lifestyle through a variety of digital applications, integrate disease and lifestyle management into their platform. They wanted to bring healthcare coaching, lifestyle management, and services that are fully integrated with the medical plan into Cigna on-site and near-site clinics. Cigna on-site health is also currently piloting the use of virtual care. We will contract with retail clinics to provide our customers with access to convenient quality care. So more recently, uh, Cigna has published another paper, this one in regards to on-site healthcare centers sometimes called worksite centers or near-site centers. They can also be shared site health centers for employees and in some cases their dependents. So if you, ha you know, if you have commercial zones, you have industrial zones, you have places where there may be one employer that has several thousand employees and would benefit from having their own independent on-site health center. Or you could also have a shared site center, meaning that in this industrialized area, in this industrialized park, there's five separate employers that may have several hundred to a thousand employees each each individual business does not necessarily need to have their own individual on-site healthcare center, but all five of the, the companies in that location or in that general area can share an on-site healthcare facility. Now, the near-site or the on-site healthcare centers are typically employer-sponsored or owned a healthcare center that is near or in the work site, meaning they have a factory that employs 10,000 people, and in that factory they have a clinic where they own the clinic and they're responsible for the clinic, but they employ people in order to provide these services to their employees. The shared site may serve the employees of multiple employers. It'll be sponsored by and funded by the employers, but not individually owned by the employers, but it'll be a benefit to their employees and a cost-saving approach. These services can range greatly, but they typically are from basic healthcare services. They're going to deal with basic injuries, minor injuries, minor illnesses, immunizations, preventative healthcare screenings, primary healthcare services, and on-site pharmacy services. Some on-site health centers are paired with 
other wellness services such as physical therapy, massage therapy, and fitness. Cigna has been able to demonstrate that the use of on-site healthcare centers increases productivity through a reduced amount of time away from the office. There's a number of times when a individual may need to leave the office, leave the work site in order to receive healthcare. So you can decrease that. Going to see the doctor becomes part of their employment situation, meaning they can they're scheduled to have their annual physical, it's scheduled at work, you're at work, you go downstairs, you take your physical, you go back to work. You have an increase in productivity simply through the reduction in time away from office or away from work in order to address healthcare concerns. It dramatically decreases the cost of healthcare because it limits the exposure or the necessity to use urgent care facilities or emergency rooms or just specialists. It also improves access to quality care. What when the employee may not have gone to the doctor because of deductibles or high copayments and coinsurances, when it's included with their employment and they can simply stop by, they have greater access to quality care. And typically when an employee leaves their work site for medical office visit, they spend an average of 150 minutes away from work. And that number jumps to 270 minutes for an emergency room or urgent care visit. Alternatively, a visit to an on-site healthcare center reduces the amount of lost time from work to 30 minutes in both cases. And more than 54% of Americans have postponed visiting the doctor because of its inconvenience and disruption to work schedule. The top reason for postponing a visit is the inability to take time off from work. Among employers who have on-site health centers, 64% are currently realizing savings as a result of the decrease in time lost seeing external medical providers and reduced emergency room and urgent care utilization. In addition to the savings from increased productivity, on-site health centers can reduce healthcare costs by providing cost-effective treatment and reducing urgent care and ER visits. These are not just facts and figures that they're making up. These are facts and figures with citations that provide a source for where they pulled that information from. For an example, the 150 minutes away from work in order to see a doctor. These are surveys that were done between 2014 and 2015 by a variety of uh, national associations, uh, but they've all been sourced. These are legitimate numbers that are being quoted. On-site health care centers can also improve access to quality care, which can increase utilization of preventative care. Between 40 and 60 percent of individuals who visit on-site clinics do not have primary care physicians. Additionally, 20 percent of the individuals report difficulty accessing primary health care. While there is evidence that on-site health care centers can reduce costs and increase productivity, it can also improve health outcomes. There are instances where they are not feasible for certain employers. For example, some employers may not have the space in order to open a healthcare facility, or they lack the net, the employee population necessary to realize the savings or justify the on-site clinic. There is no magic number as to the amount of space needed or the population required to justify the cost. On- and near-site healthcare centers are expanding, with nearly 30% of companies of more than 5,000 employees offering healthcare services through near or on-site centers in 2015. That's an increase of 24% compared to 2013. On-site health centers have proven to be an effective way to reduce costs and employers are expected to continue expanding these centers. Cigna wants to expand it to employees and their dependents. They want to have a more broad scope of services available, make it easier to get more regular health checkups and screenings done, 
because it's at work. It's much easier to make sure that all of your employees have had their annual exam if it's scheduled at work. It costs significantly less to employ somebody to provide those services and minimize the need for urgent care or emergency room visits than it is to provide insurance that will cover all of the ancillary services that could be provided at a clinic on site. So this podcast, so this one has taken a lot longer to put together. The, the story just continued to grow and continue to unfold and expand and just there kept being more relevant information that I wanted to add and it's just continued to grow. So uh, one of those things that happened was Palmer announced they were having a multidisciplinary job fair. So I Googled, you know, looked at the employers that would be at the job fair recruiting doctors of chiropractic. They had five different places listed. One was the Veterans Administration that's actively been trying to recruit chiro- doctors of chiropractic for a number of years. And another was this company, I'm not sure how they pronounce it. It's spelled C-E-R-N-E-R, Cerner or Kerner, I guess are two possible pronunciations of that name. But they will be at the job fair recruiting doctors of chiropractic. And this company is dedicated to on-site health centers. This is reading from their website now. Our holistic approach to health centers infuses wellness and condition management into primary care to help keep your employees healthy and bend the health care cost curve for the employer. So this company is traded on NASDAQ. Their symbol is C-E-R-N. In 2016, they did about $4.8 billion, $4. billion in total revenue. Since their creation, they've invested more than $5 billion into research and development. They have 26,000 associates based in 26 countries across the world. They have 27,000 provider facilities in 35 countries. They're going to be at Palmer recruiting doctors of chiropractic to be providers at these facilities. I'm not sure if they're employment opportunities or contract opportunities, but they're going to be at a job fair. Who else is going to be at Palmer's job fair? Another one of the companies listed on their website as being in attendance at the Palmer job fair is Premise Healthcare, taking care further by by bringing it even closer. On their homepage, they say, we are Premise Health, the leader in on-site health and wellness, and the most experienced in changing the way people use and pay for healthcare. This is from the CEO, Stu Clark. Premise Health has an obligation to change the conversation in the worksite health industry. We are focused on improving patient, provider, and client experiences. To that end, we are investing in technology, that substantially engage patients, improve the efficiency and satisfaction of providers, and allow employers to verify verifiably track outcomes. Aetna is going retail healthcare services at pharmacy locations because there's 9,000 CVSs located across the United States. So they make a reasonable target for a national chain of retail health services. United is purchasing outpatient services and at quite the rate. I mean, this year alone, they've purchased nearly a thousand clinics. CVS took five, six years to open up a thousand clinics at their own facilities that were already existing. United purchased a thousand clinics within the past year at a cost of nearly eight billion dollars. We see four, five, six, seven, almost eight billion dollars. And then we have companies like Premise Healthcare that are currently recruiting doctors of chiropractic for this very reason. They are also investing in changing the delivery system, and this is how they believe they'll be able to do it. From the National Association of Worksite Health Centers, they've completed conducted surveys of employers with worksites, and the majority of employers, 85%, consider the centers to be successful 
particularly in terms of employee utilization, satisfaction, and the reduction of lost work days, improving the management of chronic conditions. A Kaiser Family Foundation study in 2014 found that healthcare costs continue to rise and employers are increasingly shifting the cost to the employees. From 2000 to 2014, premium costs increased by 149% for employers, but at the same time, it increased by 198% for employees. But this holiday season, you know, the, one of the things I want to ask if you happen to enjoy this podcast, to share it with your friends and your chiropractic colleagues. So we're trying to share meaningful content, have a thoughtful conversation about what's going on in our profession because that's nobody else is doing that. The 2017 Gallup Palmer College of Chiropractic Annual Report actually has a different title. It's called America's Views of Prescription Pain Medicine and Chiropractic Care. Before it was America's Perception of Chiropractic. So they start off with the first thing they mentioned is 78% prefer to try other ways to address their physical pain before they take pain medicine prescribed by a doctor. Well, of course, but that could include any number of things. First thing that goes through people's mind is not go to the doctor to get a pain pill. The first thing that goes through people's mind is not go to the doctor. Other is such a huge category that I don't feel comfortable implying that other equals chiropractic care. There's many others. And that's a big problem with these anti-opioid campaigns or opioid alternative campaigns that chiropractors are funding. You're funding or promoting any alternative to opioids, which includes other prescription pain medicines. It includes physical therapy, acupuncture, other natural physical modalities. You're not promoting chiropractic. You're promoting anything other than and opioids. You don't want to stand against something. You want to stand for something. By standing against medication, you're not standing for chiropractic. Medication has a very real, meaningful purpose. They go on, 27% of U.S. adults have seen healthcare professionals for significant back or neck pain in the last 12 months. Of those adults, more than half, 54%, have had an ongoing problem with neck or back pain for five years or more. So dealing with the adult population, nearly a third, 27%, have seen a healthcare provider for significant back and neck pain in the last 12 months, or 54% have had an ongoing problem with back or neck pain for five years or more. Yeah, that's because a lot of these modalities don't actually resolve the problem. These are not fast healing processes or that there is some underlying problem that is resulting in the back or neck pain, and as long as that underlying fundamental problem is not addressed, it will not be corrected. 22% of U.S. adults prefer to take pain medication prescribed by a doctor to treat their physical pain. 63% agree most chiropractors have their patient's best interest in mind. 52% agree most chiropractors are trustworthy. See, now you can easily look at that the other way around. 48% agree most chiropractors are not trustworthy. It's a yes and no kind of question. So if 52% agree that chiropractors are trustworthy, that means 48% don't, which is significantly higher than even last year's Gallup poll. And it also seems to be slipping in terms of patients' best interest in mind, 63%. That's not particularly well, two-thirds approximately. So a third of people that have been to a chiropractor do not believe that the chiropractor has their best interest in mind. That's a significant problem. That's a huge percentage of people that have been to chiropractors. Many Americans don't know enough about chiropractic care. 
Well, that's certainly true. And that's something they've reiterated many times over and over again with this study, is that the more people know about chiropractic, the more likely they are to seek chiropractic care, and that the vast majority of people have very little understanding about the chiropractor, the degree at which a chiropractor is educated, or what exactly a chiropractor does every day. We have to accept responsibility for that. It's only our fault that in 100 years or in 122 years, we have not been able to put together an effective means of educating the public about chiropractic. That's due to a lack of that's due to a lack of organization and a lack of coordination because we certainly are spending the money that is necessary in order to educate the public, but we're spending it very inefficiently. Education about chiropractic care increases the likelihood people will go to a chiropractor, especially for blacks and young adults. It's universal. Education about chiropractic care increases the likelihood people will go to a chiropractor. Period. Now again, this is all coming directly from Palmer College of Chiropractic's third and I believe final addition to the Gallup poll, America's Perception of Chiropractic. Most adults in the United States prefer drug-free pain management. If given a choice, 78% of U.S. adults prefer to try other ways to address physical pain before they take pain medication prescribed by a doctor, while only 22% prefer the prescription pain medicine. Adults with a high school diploma or less, adults with an annual income of $35,000 or less, adults over 65 years old, and adults who have never been to a chiropractor are among the subgroups that are most likely to prefer prescription pain medicine to treat physical pain. Eight out of 10 adults, 81%, think chiropractic care can help a great deal with back and neck pain. U.S. adults believe chiropractic care is safer than prescription pain medicine. Well, of course, adults in the United States are also slightly more likely to say chiropractic care is more effective than prescription pain medicine for patients with significant back and neck pain. Knowledge of chiropractic care. So remember, the more that somebody knows about chiropractic, the more likely they are to seek chiropractic care. Adults in the United States are not highly knowledgeable about chiropractic care. Half of adults in the U.S., 50%, do not know the philosophies that guide chiropractic care. I have a feeling you could say 57% of chiropractors do not know the philosophies that guide chiropractic care. I'm not sure that education about the chiropractic philosophies or the philosophies that guide chiropractic care are the key to that education, unless it's incredibly simplistic and principled, in which case then I would agree. And we should try to communicate that to the public. The unfortunate fact of the matter is you can't get that many chiropractors to agree on the basic fundamental philosophical tenets of chiropractic on what they are and what they mean. All chiropractors actually adhere to the major premise and all chiropractors actually adhere to the basic fundamental principles of chiropractic. They refuse to acknowledge it. There was even a a Facebook survey done recently where somebody had asked many thousands of people, do chiropractors share a common philosophy? And it was deeply divided at the majority of people said no they do not share a common philosophy which is hogwash all there there are different interpretations of the philosophy there are different applications of the philosophy but all of them are based upon the same basic fundamental principles including the major premise nearly half of those adults who had not seen a chiropractor in the last 12 months, say that they would be more likely to go to a chiropractor if they knew more about what chiropractors do. So again, we have a lot of indicators telling us that educating the public will increase the utilization of chiropractic care. Three in 10 adults in the United States say the main reason more people do not go to a chiropractor is that they lack information about the chiropractic profession. Chiropractic patients and non-chiropractic patients alike favor collaboration between chiropractors and other doctors. More than two-thirds of adults in the United States who have not seen a chiropractor for at least 12 months say they would be more likely to go to a chiropractor for care 
if they knew their chiropractor would work closely with their other doctors. Last year's Gallup poll found that more than two-thirds of adults in the United States who have seen a chiropractor for care in the past 12 months want their chiropractor to work closely with their other doctors to collaborate on, on their health care. This is particularly important because there's very little communication between the medical doctor and the chiropractor. There is, however, a significant relationship between doctors of physical therapy and medical doctors, and that I believe Americans will see this close relationship that they're looking for in collaboration between their doctor of physical therapy and their medical doctor. Because doctors of physical therapy and physical therapists have been dependent upon the medical community for referrals and have already had a long history of established relationship between the two professions, that you'll likely see that collaboration continue, if not grow. Six 60% of chiropractic patients have insurance coverage for chiropractic care, but only 40 46% of chiropractic patients say insurance paid for at least some of their chiropractic care. So of those that have had back and neck pain in the last 12 months, what did you do about it? 70% said that they took over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as Advil, aspirin, or Aleve. 45% acetaminophen or Tylenol. 5% gabapentin or Neurotin. 10% cortisone shots, 13% benzodiazepines such as Valium, Xanax, or uh, Flexerol, muscle relaxers, and then 25% took opioids such as hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, methadone, Percocet, Demerol, Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percodan. The majority of people don't want to take prescription pain medicine. But 70% of people that had back and neck pain had no problem taking over-the-counter medicine. So the people that took the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as Advil, Aspirin, and Aleve, 83% had been to a chiropractor within the past 12 months. 65% had been to a chiropractor more than 12 months ago. And 60% had never been to a chiropractor. Where you start to see the real shift, people that have been to the chiropractor, 80% of them, it says, had taken you know, aspirin or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. But then when it gets into opioids, it switches a lot. Now it's a much smaller number. Now it's 14% versus 36% that had never been to a chiropractor. People who have significant back or neck pain have various methods they can use to try to address this pain. All treatment methods have some risk. In your opinion, which of the following is safer for patients who have significant back and neck pain? chiropractic care, or prescription pain medicine. Only 34% said that chiropractic care was less of a risk to your health than prescription pain medicine. 26% didn't know. So we're not that far beyond didn't know. Which it should be abundantly obvious. It should be extremely clear that obviously chiropractic care is much safer than prescription pain medicine. But we have to educate the public about chiropractic care in order for them to draw those natural conclusions. They don't know anything about chiropractic care. So how are they going to determine that chiropractic care is safer than prescription pain medicine? They're going to need to use some type of reasoning or logic in order to do that. They've got all kinds of information available about the prescription pain medicine. It's being pumped at them all day, every day, but would have very little in terms of education about chiropractic care and risks or benefits. So, of course, they don't have any uh, they don't know. They ask patients about dietary supplements. According to patient report, chiropractors and medical doctors have nearly the same positive things to say about dietary supplements. Four in ten chiropractic patients say their chiropractor has expressed a positive opinion about dietary supplements, while nearly four in ten U.S. adults with a medical doctor say that their medical doctor has expressed a positive opinion about 
dietary supplements. The actual numbers boil down to 41 versus 39%. 49, 41% of chiropractors endorsed the use of dietary supplements, while 39% of medical doctors endorsed it. We have the Palmer study that showed us in its third part that people want to have an integrated healthcare approach. We have the chiropractic 2025 study we talked about that said the profession in order to perpetuate should embrace an integrative healthcare model it came down to three basic choices continue on a path that is in decline revitalize or revolutionize the healthcare industry to embrace a vitalistic approach or integrate the best way for the doctor of chiropractic and for the profession to integrate within the healthcare community is going to be independently as owners as entrepreneurs how is the market changing what is the market doing when the all big five move in a particular direction you need to take notice you are in the healthcare delivery business that's what you do you deliver healthcare services when thousands of clinics are being purchased for billions of dollars in the healthcare sector and you own a healthcare clinic and you're in that space this is your business this is what you do these are significant factors in your business the conversations being dominated by the one spine at a time guru and their nonsense. Whether they're a technique guru, whether they're a practice management guru, a marketing guru, they're just pitching their crap. And it's dominating the conversations, dominating the continued education system. It's do dominating the conversations, our trade publications. It's dominating our trade associations. Look at the actions of the market. And to simply dismiss anything that has to do with insurance, and say, oh, well, don't play the insurance game. You're free from their bondage. That's absolute nonsense. That's retail chiropractic. That's retail healthcare. You can't just completely ignore the retail sector and pretend like it doesn't have any influence over your practice, even if you do not participate in that marketplace. Retail prices have a direct impact on wholesale prices. Retail prices are going to be higher than wholesale prices. You can't just ignore insurance. The answer it can never be just simply ignore these problems, which all too often that's exactly what the guru or the false leader wants you to do. Ignore the systemic issues, ignore the systemic problems, focus on you and your practice, and I'll show you how you can be successful, one spine at a time. I'm becoming a firm believer of the idea that a union for doctors of chiropractic needs to work to establish job opportunities for doctors of chiropractic, and that this is one of the mechanisms in which chiro union is going to start working actively in the coming year to create jobs for doctors of chiropractic. In terms of a profession, in terms of an industry, there are very few and limited job opportunities within the chiropractic profession. Certainly given the number of people that graduate, this is why there are there is a shrinking number of chiropractors that are practicing chiropractic. Some people will say that chiropractic is growing. I just received an email, and we've already talked about how the California board has recently raised rates for its licenses in order to fund its practices because the population of chiropractors in the state of California has continued to shrink. It's getting smaller. There are fewer people with active licenses in the state of California than there were a year or two or three years ago. Every year it's declined. According to the board, the people that manage the licenses, there's a number of threats, and we've talked about the threats. We started this podcast discussing the different threats to our profession, and this is the manifestation of those threats. We're looking at, we're watching this year, the big five insurance companies making dramatic shifts and spending billions of dollars in their business model. To ignore that, to not pay any attention to it, to not discuss that is irresponsible as a profession and as a member of a profession. This is, these are important conversations that need to be had, and no one's having them. 
the ACA is rebranding itself. The ICA is fighting with people that want to expand their scope of practice rights. Nobody's discussing this. I'm speaking on my opinion, what I believe is the future of healthcare based upon the actions of the market right now, based upon studies that I'm looking at right now. That's the direction that the health delivery of healthcare is moving and you deliver healthcare. You can't ignore the medical community. You can't ignore health insurance. You can't ignore the influence they have on the marketplace, no matter what the guru or far, false leader might be telling you. They're only interested in generating their own personal wealth, selling you their book, signing up for their mission trip, building their practice, putting money in their pocket. Or they exploit students and their desire to serve and their mission trips. Nobody's even participating in these conversations. And these are the important conversations that need to be had. The, the number one thing I hear whenever I mention anything that has to do with an insurance company is, I don't take insurance. You shouldn't take insurance. Forget about insurance. It has nothing to do with chiropractic. What do you mean it has nothing to do with chiropractic? It's one of the most asinine things you could possibly say, that insurance has nothing to do with chiropractic. And pretend that insurance is not a meaningful factor, that it could simply be ignored. That the first trillion dollars of healthcare dollars that are spent the first trillion dollars of money in the healthcare sector goes goes directly to the insurance company a trillion dollars you just want to immediately ignore the first trillion dollars that are spent right out of the patient's paycheck directly to the insurance company you need you want to completely ignore that trillion dollars well i can guarantee you the vast majority of chiropractic patients don't ignore that trillion dollars they have those benefits and they want to use those benefits because they earn those benefits they pay for those benefits. It's a very significant factor in the marketplace, especially when they act in collusion in order to oppress our profession. Blatantly act in collusion. Their billing matrices and the matri pricing matrices and the pricing manner and the way they collect information, they all follow a very similar pattern. They follow in stride with each other and the end result is often the same. More work, less money. We're watching this year the big five insurance companies making dramatic shifts and spending billions of dollars in their business model. To ignore that, to not pay any attention to it, to not discuss that is irresponsible as a profession. This is These are important conversations that need to be had, and no one's having them. The ACA is rebranding itself. The ICA is fighting with people that want to expand their scope of practice rights. Nobody's discussing this. This was an outside organization that studied chiropractic. This was the National Association of On-Site Health Centers that did this study. But it wasn't a chiropractic organization that did this study. But the study does a wonderful job of explaining just exactly why the doctor of chiropractic is especially well-suited for these types of clinics. And that these types of clinics are growing. They're increasing in popularity. They decrease costs for employers. They increase employee productivity. There's a number of benefits to having these clinics. Thank you very much for listening. I love and appreciate all of you. If you have any feedback you'd like to share with us, get involved on facebook.com slash Union. Like, share, subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you like, you can also email me, Union at gmail.com. Thank you very much. I love and appreciate all of you. Adio.